This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Today we'll hear about an exciting new partnership that will promote financial security for Zoomers. And in the spirit of Halloween, filmmaker Connie Deletti will drop by to tell us about Corpus, a documentary that follows her across North America as she explores the wide variety of unusual options for that final decision, how to dispose of our remains when we die. And we'll hear an AARP Radio Network feature about an unusual hobby that has many looking to the sky, pigeon racing. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's part of the Zoomer phenomenon. A new study says Canadians are working longer into what were once their retirement years. Stats Canada reports that a 50-year-old worker in 2008 could expect to stay in the labour force three and a half years longer than they would have in the mid-1990s. The study says over the past 15 years or so, older workers have been increasingly delaying retirement. The trend reverses that of the 1980s and early 90s, when early retirements were prevalent due to high public sector deficits and downsizing among private sector organizations. There's growing evidence that the pace at which fitness declines has less to do with age and more to do with lifestyle. A study in Germany looked at the finish times of almost a million marathon runners between the ages of 20 and 79. The results show no significant age-related decline in performance occurred before the age of 55. After that, only a slight amount was measurable until the age of 69. And many of the people in that demographic still had finish times that would be considered above average when compared with people between the ages of 20 and 54. The important number was the time runners spent training, not their age. All the runners trained a similar amount, three or four times a week for about an hour at a time, regardless of their age. In America, Congress has voted to honor the first African-American Marines who served in World War II. Early this week, a unanimous vote passed in favor of awarding the Montford Point Marines with the Congressional Gold Medal, the highest civilian honor given by Congress. About 19,000 men trained at Montford Point between 1942 and 1949. Most have since died. Only four Montford Point veterans attended the vote on Tuesday, and they got a standing ovation. A study out of Singapore says their happiest citizens are the baby boomers. The survey found the happiest residents are between the ages of 45 and 59, while the unhappiest are between the ages of 18 and 29. The survey covered a wide variety of issues such as job satisfaction and confidence in the economy. The boomers were happiest with where they lived, their closeness with family members, and their spirituality. The survey was conducted by the marketing communications agency, Gray Singapore. Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review.
It's a subject no one wants to talk about, what to do with your remains when you die. Filmmaker Connie Deletti crisscrossed North America checking out all the options. The result is Corpus, which some reviewers are referring to as a feel-good movie. Connie Deletti, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Libby. At the beginning, why did you embark on this? Why did you choose this subject? I was uh, someone who was very afraid of death. I didn't want to acknowledge it. I didn't want to deal with it. But as we all know, anything that you repress will eventually come to the surface. <laughs> um, and it came to the surface for me when I went to renew my health card. And I was faced with um, a sheet of paper that had all of these options uh, as far as organ donation goes. And I just started kind of frantically checking off some boxes, thinking, well, where is this going? What's going to happen? I haven't even thought about this. Okay, well, let's go through some of the options. Uh, plastination, cryonics, mummification, take it away. Uh, okay, well, plastination is the process of basically extracting out all of the water from organs and tissues and then impregnating them with plastic. Um, you can see a really great example of this in the Body World exhibit or Bodies the exhibit. Cryonics is a process in which the body can be suspended in liquid nitrogen and frozen. Uh, right now, it's for an indefinite amount of time. The hope is that one day uh, the body can be reanimated and the person will be able to come back to life. Okay, so this is... Uh, Walt Disney did that. He mm -hmm. was famous for doing that. It costs a lot of money, doesn't it? It does. Actually, a lot of people, what they do to afford this is um, they actually sign away their life insurance to the to the company that would uh, freeze their remains. Okay, then there's mummification. I mean, we all know mummification from Egyptian mummies. Mm -hmm. So there is a company uh, called Summum. They're based in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is the Mormon capital. And what they do is they will mummify your body and complete with a sarcophagus and complete with 90 days of sitting over the body and meditating over it so that the soul can gently leave. But what their claim to fame is, is that they embalm the body with modern day chemicals that that will uh, preserve the, the image and likeness of the person as if they were still alive. Okay. Glass blowing? There are two glass blowers, a really lovely couple. Then what they do is they incorporate cremated remains into the glass and can make anything from a set of, of drinking glasses to vase to a fruit bowl. A drinking glass with human remains? It's true. I actually, they were so lovely. They basically made a lunch for us when we were there filming. And I recall this so vividly. I was drinking some water and I looked at the glass and one of the markings of glass that has cremated remains in it is it has an iridescent quality. And I noticed this glass was pure iridescent. And I, I said, Leslie, out of curiosity, is there someone in this glass? And she's, oh, that's our friend Tim. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel about, uh, were you thirsty anymore? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you did, again, you take a step back to really, you know, I'm, I am drinking part of a person right now. It's kind of, it's a bit overwhelming for the mind to really take in. Okay. Diamonds, you can have yourself made into a diamond. I, I kind of like that idea. Yeah, this, this one's really great. It takes about three quarters of a cup of cremated remains. And what happens is it gets compressed with a diamond seed and a little disc of carbon. And over the period of four days, an intense pressure and heat, a two carat diamond can be made. And how much does that cost? That costs in the neighborhood, it all depends on the setting and, of course, the uh, the cut that you want of your diamond, but it can cost about $25,000. So it, it sort of costs uh, what uh, some two-carat diamonds might cost. Absolutely, except it's truly the value is priceless. Now, here's something that looks really interesting to me. 
using your remains to grow coral reefs. I mean, coral reefs are endangered. That sounds very, very ecological. It is. It's one of the most ecological and uh, environmentally friendly ways to uh, essentially gift your body back. Uh, What happens is your cremated remains are mixed with concrete. They're then poured and casted into a concrete reef ball. So it's a, a concrete ball that looks like a coral reef. That's then cast off the coast, uh, off the east coast of the United States. And it's basically meant to encourage underwater sea life to grow and to replenish itself. Your concrete reef ball is also complete with a GPS tracker, so your loved ones can track where you are floating around on the sea. So now the big question is, what have you decided to do with your remains? Well, I have uh, stalled out on answering that question for a long time, but you know what? I will I will tell you, Libby. My decision was to have small glass hearts made with my cremated remains so that when people would come to a memorial service, they could leave with a parting gift. <laughs> Why didn't you want to disclose that? I wanted people to watch the film and to go on the journey with me because it really, even though it is my journey, Deciding what you want to do with your body after you die is a m- more of a personal choice. So I d- didn't want to disclose it because I want you to have the excitement of finding out at the end what did I decide to do. Connie Deletti, thank you so much for joining us. And remember, that film is Corpus. And what's the website? Uh, it's www.corpusthemovie.com. Okay. Thanks a lot. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. After a quick break, we'll be back with a look at the new partnership between CARP and Sun Life Financial to benefit Zoomers. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. I'm Libby Snymer, and I'm here with two of the foremost business leaders in our community, Kevin Doherty, president of Sun Life Financial Canada, and media visionary Moses Nimer. They're here to talk about their new partnership to promote financial security for the 45-plus demographic. To do this, the first thing they did was listen to the concerns of over 5,400 CARP members. That poll had some very interesting findings. Over 54% are worried about how economic uncertainty will impact their retirement savings. More than 30% are worried about market volatility and unexpected expenses, and still over 69% are confident they have a plan in place to maintain their lifestyle. So what do you make of those results, Kevin? All of the stats are quite striking. You know, I think the last three, four years have been you know, very, very big for people in terms of raising their awareness of the risks facing them in retirement and in planning for retirement. And so people are more, more aware than ever about the risk of uncertainties. Moses, any surprises for you in those numbers? I'm surprised that the number is as low as it is. All you have to do is wake up, turn on the radio, turn on the TV, open that newspaper, and it's alarming. The world is in a state of chasses. It it doesn't surprise me at all that people have a kind of low-level, permanent kind of anxiety. And I suspect that if we polled again in a few weeks' time, depending on what happens in Europe, you could see that number spike even further. The idea that 69% of people are confident that they have a financial plan that's going to maintain their lifestyle when they don't work, I find that incredible. Yeah, I thought that was really, really striking, too. And that is quite a different number than we see in a lot of other surveys. So that says something 
specifically about CARP members, uh -huh. that would be twice what we would see in normal surveys. Right, so, so about 35% feel they have a good plan in place. Yeah, exactly. What did you think of that number? Well, it doesn't surprise me that people who are CARP members are mindful of what are really the two abiding concerns for Canadians as they age, right? Health and wellness, health care, and financial security. So that CARP people feel a little more connected to the whole idea of planning for retirement doesn't surprise me. Now, Moses, one of the things that we talk about a lot at CARP is longevity. And one of the big fears that came out in this, yeah. people are afraid about living their money. Indeed. Um, the great gift is that we're living another 20, 25 years, more than we did as recently as 50, 60 years ago, but people haven't considered how they're going to finance it. So there's good news and there's bad news. And, and because of all of that, uh, we at CARP have been very careful about selecting our financial partner. We knew we had to have one. You're dealing with people's savings. You're dealing with their hopes and dreams for a comfortable last third in their life. And the people who give that advice have got to be exceptional. I particularly like, this is our negotiation back and forth, that not every one of their advisors will qualify as an advisor to CARP. Only their most experienced members, only their most experienced advisors are up to that standard. So how, yes. how do you qualify? How does an advisor qualify to be an advisor to CARP? Yeah, we have about 3,000 advisors across Canada in about 850 communities. So as Moses says, uh, you know, we're really on the ground um, everywhere. We'll be looking to our most experienced advisors. So these will be people that have been in the business for a long time. We've gone through all of our training programs, very familiar with our products, have various industry accreditation and uh, follow the protocols that we set out. We've heard from that point of view why the partnership is a good fit. Um, why in terms of Sun Life is it? Well, for us, you know, this is very, very much aligned with our mission. Um, when I think about the, uh, you know, kind of the vision for CARP, about this new vision for aging, you know, a big part of that obviously is financial security. And lifetime financial security is really the essence of what our mission is all about. So this, this is a great fit for us. In terms of the assumptions that these advisors make, uh, I'm assuming they take into account this longer longevity that we're enjoying now. We have a, a number of tools that our advisors use, and a lot of it is really just um, you know, thinking about understanding you know, your needs for income you know, through the rest of your life trying to map that and then understanding the risks um, that, that could take you off track. You know, health events, taxation, um, you know, unexpected expenses, all those kinds of things. So we work with customers using these tools to try to map that out and build a plan. We toss around the word retirement with some abandon, but as, as we all know, increasingly more and more people are not fully disengaged anymore. People may not want to work in the same way or even not want to do the same thing or as much but more and more people understand they have to stay engaged it's good for your mental health and it may be good for your wallet so there are those people who continue to work in a kind of semi-retirement they'd love some financially secure retirement income and they may also have to pursue a part-time job or wish to pursue a part-time job because it keeps them alive and it keeps them interested. 
So I think these are new forms of retirement which present a challenge to society. Thank you so much, Kevin Doherty and Moses Neimer. For more information on CARP and Sun Life Financial's new partnership, you can visit www.carp.ca. I'm Libby Snymer. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, we'll hear about an unusual hobby that's literally for the birds, pigeon racing. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. When you think of fiercely competitive sports, you probably think tennis, golf, hockey, baseball. But pigeon racing? Rachel James from the AARP Radio Network caught up with a group of pigeon flyers in Maine who are very passionate about their hobby. Five, four, three, two, one, go. Okay, might not sound like it, but a race just began. That was truck driver John. He drove 114 pigeons from Maine to Vermont and released them all at once from the back of his trailer. The pigeons have no idea where they are. They've never been there before. And yet, by some miraculous ability, a complete mystery, they know exactly where they're going. 150 miles away, the racers get out their lawn chairs and start watching the skies. You're always looking for the golden pair. Yeah. It's very hard to get a golden pair. That's Sid Flying Fool Bergeron and Marcel Arundel Pines Letelier. Mars is the oldest flyer in Maine and the old champ. Sid gave up racing recently, but he waits for the birds at Mars's. They talk pigeons, ponder the competition. We got uh, one guy that's really hard to beat, and he loves pigeons, you know, uh, Jim Peck. If you beat him, you've won, uh, you win the race, you know. Mars isn't joking. Jim is something of a pigeon whisperer. It's tough being up top. They want to beat you. That means you're doing good. The thing is, talking smack, sitting near the coop on the lawn, letting the flocks out to exercise, watching the birds fly after a long day at work, there's a lot to like about the sport. But the best part, the part these racers do all the hard work for, is race day. Actually, it's not even race day. It's the moment the birds arrive home and fly into the coop. It takes about two seconds. Was that a bird? Come on, come on, come on. There's two. See them? See they're coming down now? Across southern Maine, the racers coax their pigeons into their coops. That's the real finish line, past the door, into the coop. But they're pigeons. Maybe they feel like hanging out on the roof, circling a few times. If they do that, you lose the race. Jim, the reigning champ, has a pigeon in a cage beside his lawn chair, a dropper. He'll set her free if the first racing pigeons are spooked. If they're circling and don't want to land, Jim's brother spots the first birds. His toe, three. Now, no one's allowed to talk. The birds are spooked. Jim reaches for the dropper. The dropper flies straight into the coop, but only one of the three pigeons follows. The other two perch on the roof. And that's it. The moment of exhilaration. It's subtle. Yes, in fact, the racers still have no idea who won, but it's a triumph for the pigeons and the racers. The birds have found home. At the end of the day, the racers meet at the clubhouse. It used to take hours calculating the speed versus the distance for each racer's coupe. But now an old IBM spits out the race sheet in, well, less time. 
Hey, you want to brag now? We don't brag because next week we could be on the bottom. It's anybody's game here. Apparently so. As for the losers... Losers? No, we're just not the winners. You can't look at it that way. I am the loser. <laughs> the racers filter out of the clubhouse, but they'll be back at it next week, and the week after that, and the week after that, until, well... I hope it never collapses, but it will. We'll be the last of them, I got a feeling. I think when we're done, that's probably going to be done for around here. That was Rachel James from the AARP Radio Network. I'm Libby Zneimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Harold Prince has been the producer and director behind some of Broadway's greatest musicals, but the upcoming 2012 Dan Cap season will take an unusual turn for him as he becomes the focus of a musical based on his own life and career. Here's reporter David Bale. Phantom of the Opera is the longest-running musical among the Tony Award-winning shows by Harold Prince. When he was asked by Dan Cap president Aubrey Dan about staging a show about his Broadway career, 83-year-old Prince replied, Hey, why not? It won't be seen as hubris. Why not finally do it? So, you know, I've been doing this for 57 years. Besides Phantom are other classics produced or directed by Prince, including Pajama Game, Damn Yankees, Fiddler on the Roof, Cabaret, and Sweeney Todd. With 32 Broadway shows and 21 Tony Awards to his credit, it's no mystery what the audience will see and hear. Well, you're going to see music from hopefully as many of the 32 musicals that I've done as possible, and then they're going to hear from me about my experience. Of course, it will also include music from West Side Story, a revival of which, coincidentally, is also in Dan Cap's 2012 lineup. Watershed musical. Nothing like it had ever been seen before. It influenced my directing a great deal. From the Four Seasons Center for the Performing Arts, I'm David Bale for the Zoomer Week in Review. That's it for this edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today, and I hope you'll be back next Sunday at noon. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.